Well, we've read 2 Kings 19, and it's a long one, I know, but we could have read all of 18 and 19, because it's one story, right? We picked up right in the middle where, in, at the end of chapter 18, the Assyrians were threatening Jerusalem and warning everybody that they couldn't expect salvation from God. They were announcing it in the language of the people of Judah, and they were uh, trying to cause as much problem, as many problems as they could for Hezekiah. They were seeking to overthrow the city without having to do the work of spending uh, the necessary time and energy and money on a siege. So they were just saying, hey, come on. Give it up. You can't expect to be able to make it. We've overthrown all these other cities. Their gods haven't saved them. So come out. Come out with your hands up. We've got you covered. You're surrounded. Give it up. And it's a convincing argument, right? Why spend years and years suffering, starving, as he pointed out, when... You just come out now. Everything will go better for you if you come out now. So chapter 19 starts with Hezekiah praying to the Lord. And of course, that's the obvious thing to do, right? When you read it, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, pray. But is that your first inclination when you face trouble? Is that your first inclination when you have trials to go immediately to the Lord? So those first four verses, that's what Hezekiah does. He prays to the Lord. And then in verses 5 through 7, we get God's answer through Isaiah. And his answer is, do not be afraid that God declares that this king of Assyria is going to go home and die there. He's going to go home and he's going to die there. And then, in verses 8 through 13, we have Rab Shaka and Shalmaneser, the king, continuing to threaten Hezekiah and Jerusalem and Judah. So, God has given a promise, but he hasn't actually fulfilled that promise yet, right? He, the uh, king of Assyria continues to threaten. And so Hezekiah prays again. Hezekiah prays again. And we read that prayer in verses 14 through 19. And then we get this much longer answer to prayer in verses 20 through 34. Again, through Isaiah, God answers, and for verses 20 through 28, we read the rebuke of King Sennacherib, and for verses 29 through 31, we get this sign given for Judah. And then, verses 32 through 34, the promise, again, 
for Judah. And finally, we get to the end of the chapter, verses 35 through 37, where the Assyrian army is destroyed and King Sennacherib goes home and is murdered. Okay, so we've had a summary now of what happens in this chapter. And I ask you again, having read the chapter, having seen how everything happens, will you wait on the Lord and trust him? Will you wait on the Lord and trust him? Now, it's important for us to realize that there are ways of being faithless that look very different from each other. And so what I'm calling you to is to have faith. We go to the Lord in prayer by faith. Go to the Lord in prayer by faith. And when you do, he will hear and he will answer. You remember the New Testament warning that whatever is not of faith is sin. And that's probably the, the heaviest burden, I think, that I, I read anywhere in the Bible. Whatever is not of faith is sin. I mean, that's like most of what I do, isn't it? Is, is most of what you do by faith or is most of what you do trusting in your own strength? Whatever is not of faith is sin. So I, so I say, there's a way to be faithless and to take action. And there's a way to be faithless and refuse to take action. You, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, not, it's not this outward, simple, easy test. Well, you know, you can tell he had faith because he sat around and did nothing except pray. Or you can tell he had faith because he prayed and then he took action. Well, let me give you a couple of examples. King Saul took it upon himself to offer the sacrifice when his army was melting away instead of waiting for Samuel. You remember that? Was he being faithful or faithless by taking action? Kids, what do you think? Yeah. He was faithless, wasn't he? And he was rebuked for it. But he took action. What about Barak? You remember Barak? Barak wouldn't take action, right? Barak wouldn't take action. He refused to do battle unless Deborah came with him. Was that faithless? Sure was. He also was rebuked, wasn't he? Fine. I'll go with you, she says, but then a woman will get the glory. And 
brothers, that's a rebuke. To lead the army and have a woman get the glory for the victory. So Hezekiah, we've read, he goes to the Lord in prayer. And if you go through First and Second Kings and Chronicles and you read some of the, the prophets, you read Jeremiah, sometimes God says, I'm going to rescue you. Don't do anything. And sometimes God says, I'm going to rescue you. Here's what I want you to do. And sometimes God says, I'll rescue you if you put your faith in me. It's not, it's not just this outward, obvious thing, right? That you can see, oh, well, they sent the soldiers out, so they didn't have faith. Or no, they, they sent the soldiers out, so they did have faith. Or they called for help from another kingdom, or they didn't call for help from another kingdom. We have to evaluate these things on the basis of whether they are done by faith or not. Whether they are done by faith or not. And the test, one of the tests of faith that we see over and over and over again is that people who go to the Lord in prayer have faith. People who go to the Lord have faith. You remember the king that sent to ask one of the other gods whether he would live or not? And God intercepted him with Elisha, right? And Elisha said, is it because there is no God in Israel that you send two false gods? That man did not have faith. Hezekiah goes to the Lord in prayer because he is faithful. He's faithful. So, will you wait on the Lord and trust him? Will you wait on the Lord and trust him? It's actually... You know, I, I wish I could say it's just as simple as will you pray. It's a, good, it's a good test, right? And yet, how easy is it for us to pray to the Lord and then still not trust him? Have you ever done that? Pray but then not believe that God will answer your prayer? Oh, prayer is what we call a necessary but not sufficient part of faithfulness. Necessary, yes. You have to pray. You have to go to the Lord. But is that sufficient? No, not because you have to take some other action. Maybe there is some action you need to take. But no, that's not it. It's not because of the action or the inaction. You must pray and you must have faith. You must believe. You must trust God. That whatever the answer is, it's from him. And so 
whatever comes from his hand, we receive with gratitude. So what are the temptations that keep us from waiting on the Lord, that keep us from trusting him? Well, one is simply the pressure that we feel. Now, the pressures that happen to come upon us in this life are real. The pressures are real, okay? People have all kinds of ways of bringing pressure to bear on us. Sometimes it's the pressure of social shame, that if you don't do this, you're going to feel some people are going to notice and people are going to feel some sort of attitude of judgment towards you or you think they will and so you're going to, you're, you're feeling the pressure, right? Sometimes it's an army surrounding your city saying, come out or you're going to starve to death and then we'll kill the rest of you and we're going to destroy your city. That's a real pressure. Maybe that's not a pressure you've ever felt. But are you, are you thinking about what that pressure would feel like if you were the king of that city, the one in charge of making the decision? That's a terrible decision to face, isn't it? Terrible decision to face. Because there's a lot of pressure. And you, you, know, you remember that last week we were seeing that one of the goals of the Rab Shakah was to cause the people to turn on Hezekiah. You better believe there's pressures inside the city for Hezekiah to open up the gates, right? And you know the temptation that he faces inside himself to give up faith, to be hopeless, to give in to despair. Pressures outside the city, there's pressures inside the city, there's pressures in his own heart. The pressures that we feel are very, very real. And that's before the siege had actually started. There's no siege ramp being built yet. What are the pressures that you feel? One of the pressures is that time is passing away, right? Time ticks and talks, and away it goes. And then what? You're going to be out of time. You're not going to be able to do what you want to do. You're not going to be able to accomplish what you want to accomplish. You, you better take things into your own hand. Remember, that's the pressure that Saul was facing. His army's melting away. Everybody's leaving him. Everybody's abandoning him. He needs to get this battle going now before all his army's gone. You guys remember that song? I think it was uh, DC Talk, maybe. Time keeps on ticking, ticking into the future. That's a pressure, isn't it? You feel that pressure? 
Am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to have children? Am I ever going to have a better job? Am I ever going to have a better house? Am I ever going to have what I want in this life? Maybe the answer is no. Hezekiah goes to the Lord and he prays. And he entrusts himself and the city and all the people that he's responsible for to the Lord. Hezekiah does have something going for him. It's that he is the king of Judah. It's that he is of the line of David. It's that he's the king in Jerusalem, where the temple is. The temple has the Ark of the Covenant. It's that God is their God. That's what he has going for him. You see, it's, it's none of those external things that demonstrate that they're the people of the covenant. It's that God is their God and he has given them his covenant. If God is your God, you have that going for you too. Okay? You have that going for you just like Hezekiah had that going for him. It also happens that his enemy isn't just attacking him, but is attacking God. And so one of the commentaries that I was reading said that the king of Assyria put himself in the line of Goliath. What what did Goliath do? He attacked the living God. And that's what the king of Assyria has done. And how did it go for Goliath? It didn't go very well, did it? And of course, we've read the whole chapter. How does it go for the king of Assyria? It doesn't work out very well to attack the Most High God, does it? And yet, the pressures are real. Maybe it's that time is ticking away from you. Maybe it's simply the arguments that people give for us to give up our faith, to give up our faithful behavior. And so the pressures can be not just uh, external pressures, but they can be They can be pressures that come to bear on our mind to convince us that faith is foolish. Faith is foolish. When we begin to hear arguments for why our faith is foolish, for why obedience is foolish, and we begin to believe them, then we will give up faith, right? It's not that we'll take some faithful action when we believe that our faith is foolish. It's that we will no longer have faith. That's the outcome. And so people and Satan 
will bring pressure to bear on your mind to convince you. Arguments to convince you to give up. The simplest of is, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Or, it's not worth the cost of faith. It's not worth the cost of faith. It's not worth the delay. It's not worth the time. Here in this passage, we've got plenty of arguments for why to give up faith. When you have the people looking to uh, the king and the king looking to God, that's a good start, right? Because remember at the end of the last chapter, they, they did what the king said. They didn't answer a word because the king had said, don't answer them a word, and so they, they did it. They're looking to the king. It's a sweet picture. And then in this chapter, the king says, yeah, I, I don't have anything to say either except to God. And so he goes to God. What a beautiful thing. But the arguments, the arguments are strong. What could possibly happen to help you? It's not going to work. It hasn't worked for anybody else. List off all the cities that we can't pronounce, right? All the gods that they served. They didn't get saved. It's not worked for anybody else to put their trust in their God. It's not going to work for you. Or did you catch when he said God is trying to deceive you? Don't let God deceive you, saying that Jerusalem won't fall. Oh, maybe God will notice that he's calling God a liar, and God will take care of him. That's what Hezekiah is hoping for, right? And God does notice, and God does take care of him. How many times, though, do we allow ourselves to be deceived that giving up the faithful action, giving up the faith-filled life, will lead to everything being better for us? What is it that you want so desperately that you're willing to give up God to get it? Because that is what you're giving up when you stop acting by faith, right? You remember Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They have God. They believe Satan's lie, and what do they lose? They lose God. What a sad, sad situation that we put ourselves into when we lose faith. We begin to take things into our own hands and rely on our own strength and give ourselves over to sin, sin so that our blessing may abound.
Sometimes that's stealing, right? I want more. I want more. And so I will take what is not my own and I will be blessed. Is that what stealing makes you feel? Does it make you feel blessed? Oh, now I have it. Oh, I love it. Oh, I hate it. No. When we give ourselves to sin instead of faith, it it doesn't work out to our blessing, does it? Is God trying to deceive you when he says that if you walk according to his command that it will go well with you? No, God is not a liar. God is not trying to deceive you. God is generously, lovingly warning you, hey, live like this and it will go well with you. Disobey my commands and it will go badly with you. What more could we ask for from him, right? You say, well, him actually keeping his promise, because right now I'm being obedient and it's not going well with me. And I say, do you want to try the other way? You want to try disobeying and see if it gets better? Have you tried that before? It doesn't get better, does it? It always gets worse. Do you want to be like Hezekiah? Facing suffering, yes. Facing it with the Lord on his side? Or do you want to be like Sennacherib, all the power in the world. You guys remember the genie? Remember when he says he's got magnificent powers? Itty bitty living space. Sennacherib thinks he's got everything, right? And that's in Aladdin, that's how they conquer. Is it Jafar? Turn him, turn him into a genie so that he's trapped in a bottle, right? Itty bitty living space. Sennacherib thinks he's got all the power in the world. And Hezekiah knows he doesn't have any, right? Who do you want to be? Well, when you look at it from that perspective, obviously you want to be Sennacherib, king of Assyria, ruler of the world. And, and that's how he's described, isn't it? Where is it? Verse hmm, 23. With my many chariots, I came up to the heights of the mountains, to the remotest parts of Lebanon, and I cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypresses, and I entered the farthest lodging place, its thickest forest. There's no place that I haven't been, that I can't go, that I haven't defeated, right? 
I dug wells, I drank foreign waters, it's all mine. With the sole of my feet, I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. And what's God's answer? Verse 25, have you not heard? Sennacherib, are you so stupid? Did you never hear? With all your great power and all your wise men, did nobody ever tell you? Long ago, I did it. You think you're the one that has all the power? From ancient times, I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Yes, but I'm the one who decided that's what was going to happen. That's why, he says, verse 26, therefore their inhabitants were short of strength. They were dismayed and put to shame. They were as the vegetation of the field and as the green herb, a grass on the housetops, scorched before it has grown up. Yeah, they were all weaklings before you because I decided that's what was going to happen. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me. Uh-oh. When God knows you're raging against him, that's a bit of a warning, isn't it? So who do you want to be, Hezekiah or Sennacherib now? Make me Hezekiah. I'll keep praying. I won't rage. I won't rage against God. And so he says his judgment, God says his judgment is coming. Verse 28, because of your raging against me and because your arrogance has come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips. And I will turn you back by the way which you came. Now, you guys know what a bridle is? Bridle is something you use to control which direction a horse is going, right? And when you put a bridle on a horse, it means that the horse can't go the direction the horse wants to go anymore. You just pull a little bit and the head turns and the horse goes another direction, right? And if the horse still wants to keep going this way while their head is pulled that way, well, you just keep pulling further until it's so uncomfortable, so painful that I guess we're going to turn, right? And if a bridle isn't enough to do it, there's always the old hook in the nose. Anybody want to anybody wanna try to go right when there's a hook in your nose? Nice sharp metal hook pulling you left? You're not going to do it, are you? Sennacherib has no choice. He is going to turn right around. He's going to turn right around. So, 
Do you feel pressures to stop trusting God? Do you feel pressures to take things into your own hands or to stop taking action? Do you feel the faithless temptations, the lies of Satan beating against your mind, convincing you it's better to be like Sennacherib? And and that is the choice, right? It's always, there's a promise. No, 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 you will become like God. No, it'll be good. You'll have a better job. You'll have, a, you'll have, you'll be able to have a husband. You'll be able to have a wife. You'll be able to have children. Just take things, just, just step outside of faith for a little bit. It'll go well with you. Hezekiah prays and God says, yeah, I'm going to give you a blessing. And then the threats come back. Now, well, God isn't very reliable. He's too slow or something. I don't know what's going on, but I have not seen this guy go home and die in his own land. So now my question is, will you continue to wait and trust God? I already gave you all the pressures, right? Now, what if they continue and increase? Will you continue to trust God, to wait on him by faith, to pray, to bring your cares before him? But the delay is killing me. Trust God. Who is God? Who are you putting your faith in? All the gods of the nations are idols. So yeah, we're not going to put our faith in the God of Sepharvaim or... I forgot all the other names of the towns already. No, we, we clearly are not going to put our faith in those gods. So who is God? Verse 15. Go backwards a little bit. Hezekiah knows who God is. This is in Hezekiah's prayer. O Lord, the God of Israel, my God. Right? He's Israel. He's an Israelite. O God of Israel, who are enthroned Above the cherubim. What does that mean? Where are the cherubim? They're in the temple. Right? God is near. God is near. Right next door. Right with us. He's imminent. God of Israel. He's enthroned above the cherubim. He's God alone. There's no other God. There's no other option out there. And he's the creator. You made heaven and earth. You made heaven and earth. Who is God? 
Who are you putting your faith in? Can you believe? Can you trust? Can you put your faith in this God, this God who is near and all-powerful? This God who controls the nations, this God who destroys nations and raises them up, who lifts up kings and pulls them down. This God, our God, who is near, who you can go to in prayer. Remember when Hezekiah prays, he goes and he sets the letter from the wicked king before the Lord, right? God, look at what he's doing. Look at what he's saying in the temple, right? Oh God, who is right here, my God who is right here, I know you're here, I know you hear me. This is the God that Hezekiah prays to. And who is this God? He is the one who's being challenged by Sennacherib. He's the one who's being challenged by, has God truly said He's the one who people are saying, don't believe him. Don't believe his promises. It won't go well for you if you obey him. Look at what you can get if you disobey. Why should you have faith that that promise is true when clearly it leads through the road of trouble and trial and tribulation and persecution? What a weak God. What a fool you would have to be to believe him. All of science says the opposite. Has God truly said, obedience will actually be bad for you? Are you going to disprove them? No. God is going to disprove them. Put your faith in him. Who is God? He's the one that those who are powerful don't believe in. And he's the one who has given the powerful their power. But most of all, he is the God who keeps his word, who keeps every one of his promises. And so he will not turn you away if you go to him in prayer. So go to him, pray. Whatever your trouble is, whatever your sorrow is, whatever your pain, whatever your temptation, take them all to him. And then wait on him. Should you take action? Maybe. Should you not take action? Maybe. One thing's for sure. Have faith.